right, let's pray. So God, thank you. Thank you for uh, this church. God, thank you for the people known as Redemption Hill. God, thank you for every kid that is a part of uh, this family and even college students, new college students, grad students, new grad students. Lord, we pray for them, God, that you would give them grace as they uh, enter into classes, as they work hard, as they make new friends, as they uh, pursue what you put in front of them. Lord, we pray that it would be an amazing year for them, not just to grow academically, but to grow spiritually, socially, all the ways that you have for us. God, we pray for our students in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Now, kids, you can be dismissed. And I'd like to invite all of you to open up to Psalm 24. We're going to study uh, these 10 verses together. And as you turn there, I want to introduce you to our new little guy, He is one month and a few days old. His name is Titus Storms, all right? So uh, I wanted to bring him up here with me today because, uh, number one, I'm a proud father, and uh, number two, I think he's going to help us uh, really hear from God today in terms of what God wants to teach us. So um, every uh, parent knows one of the greatest joys and challenges of parenting is naming your child. And for those of you that know our family, God has blessed us in in more ways than we could ever uh, count or thank him. Uh, We have uh, three girls, uh, Parker's nine, Kesset is seven, and Jordan is four. And so when we discovered after many months of prayer and seeking God for direction in terms of uh, another child, if he had that for our family, uh, we discovered Marcia was pregnant and Sure enough, you know, our just natural conclusion was girl, 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 it's going to be another girl, right? Uh, and so we, just, we were just kind of counting on that. And, and like any mom, Marsha was, you know, wanting to talk about names. You know, let's just talk, let, what about this name? What about that name? And, and I just had to be honest, uh, I just said, you know what, until we know if it's a boy or a girl, uh, I, don't, I don't even want to go there, all right? I just, needed, I just needed space, you know what I'm saying? And, and I needed time to pray. Even though it was already a done deal, boy or girl, I just wanted to keep praying, you know, like God is the God of miracles. And so never mind. Uh, so, so, so just once we found out, and let me say rediscovered that there is a God and he does answer prayer by giving us a boy. Did you catch that? Yes. Uh, <laughs> Wait, we would have been so happy if it was another girl. We would just loved her with all, everything we are. Uh, but, but really awesome that, that God brought us a boy this time. And so as uh, we found out that news, then Marcia just immediately wanted to talk about names, you know? I mean, she didn't even give me 24 hours to, like, look at all the Facebook comments and likes, you know? Like, if you saw my picture, like, screaming out of Harvard Vanguard, like, thank you, Jesus, you're amazing. Um, So she wanted to start talking about names, and she threw out Titus quickly. We had talked about the name Titus before, but uh, I just needed, you know, I just wanted to be sure, you know. I said, you know, we we need to be, you know, certain on this. And and so she she convinced me when she told me that the name Titus can mean fire or to burn. And you see, while I didn't want to talk about names early on, I knew 
that boy or girl, we wanted to choose a name that would be representative of this season we are in as individuals, as a family, and even you're a part of this as a church. Because if there's been one focus over this year, it has been crying out for more and more and more of the presence of God. And you see, fire in the Bible represents the presence of God. It represents the Holy Spirit. And where the Spirit of God is, there is life and there is power. And so we love that idea that, that Titus, his name could represent the presence of God. And we pray for the presence of God to be on his life. Titus, of course, was also a companion of Paul, a leader in the early church, strong leader, affectionate, caring, compassionate. You can read about him in the book of Titus and 2 Corinthians chapter 7, I believe. But then we got to, listen to this, the middle name. And, you know, I mean, Marcia was like, you know, we're leaning, like, you know how it is, you know, decision-making, like, I'm leaning toward Titus. You know, like, Titus is, I'm leaning, I'm almost there, I'm not there yet. But as we were uh, talking about Titus, we took a trip to Rhode Island, and we had a dinner with one of my good friends, he actually preached for us in May, uh, Stephen Mook. And uh, Stephen and I were just talking, you know, as friends do, as friends who are pastors do, and he mentioned a pastor that we both have a lot of respect for. His name is Sam Storms. And so, you know, this is just in conversation. Well, about an hour later, we get into the car driving back to the hotel, Dean Hotel, if you can get a good deal, by the way, man, nice hotel. But we're driving back to the Dean Hotel in Providence, and Marcia says, what about Titus Storms? And I said, woman, you're crazy, All right? It's like, Titus is, is like bold enough, we're going to go like Titus storms, you know, like, and you just, but then I just kind of, you know, I humbled myself like a good husband does and started to think, and I started to think about the stories of scripture. And I thought about 1 Kings 18, where there had not been rain for three and a half years, but the prophet Elijah on top of Mount Carmel prays not once, not twice, but seven times that God would send rain. And then it says that his servant saw a cloud the size of a man's fist rising over the sea. And Elijah says to the evil king Ahab, you better return to, 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 to your home now lest the rain stop you. God brings his storms when we pray. But not only that, Jesus, as he was helping his disciples understand who he is, he said, who do people say that I am? And there were many opinions. Maybe you have uh, an opinion of Jesus that, that, that differs from someone else near you today. Um, but, but, but then Jesus said, well, Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so let me just ask you, church, like, are we, as the church, are we on the defensive, or are we on the offensive? What's that? We're on the offense, right? Like, we are, yes, storming the gates of hell, taking back what rightfully belongs to us in Christ. But then I got to thinking even more. When Jesus is talking about John the Baptist 
And he says that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. I believe what Jesus is saying there is that not only do we storm the gates of hell and take back what rightfully belongs to us, but we also storm the gates of heaven and receive what God wants to give us. And there is much, much more I could say about this man's little name. We wanted to choose a name that would be loaded with meaning, loaded with vision, and loaded with hope. And so as I as I pray for this little guy, I pray that God's presence would flood his life. And I pray that the storms of God would blow through this city, bringing revival and awakening like we've never seen in hundreds of years. And so that's this little guy's name. But I want to ask you, what's your name? I'd love to just preach with him the whole time, but I better give him back to his mom. So, Marcia, thank you. I didn't wake him up, but he's waking up now, and I'm going to probably be in trouble, you know what I'm saying, after this. Here you go. Thanks. So that's, that's Titus Storms. Titus' name, but what's your name? And I ask you, what's your name? Not like, you know, your given name uh, from your parents. I mean, sure, think about that. But, but what I'm more interested in is who does God say you are? What's your name? I believe fundamentally that our struggles in life stem from a failure to understand who we are and who God has made us to be and live in line with God's vision for our lives. And on the flip side, consequently, I believe that whenever we are in step, Whenever we are living according to God's plan, it is because we are living out of the identity who God has said we are, and we're actually, yes, living in line or up to our name. And so this is why some theologians would summarize the the ethics of the New Testament, and they would say that the Christian life boils down to this, become who you are. Become who you are. You say, like, Tanner, like, help help me just wrap my mind around that. That's kind of like, I don't know, it seems a little too philosophical or even maybe theological. Like, like, let me just put a handle on it, okay? Okay. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, right? if you've put faith in Christ, and if not yet, then maybe today is the day you could trust Christ and what he's done for you. Okay? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's our identity. When God looks at us, he sees Jesus. We are new in him. And yet, in Ephesians 4, what does he say in verse 24? Put on the new self. Become who you are. And so today as we study the 24th chapter of this songbook, Psalms and the Old Testament, I want to encourage us. I want to encourage us to become who we are by seeking the face of God. Become who we are by seeking the face of God. Listen along with me or read along on your 
phone or in your Bible, as we read these words of David, a Psalm of David, it says this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded, founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. There are two essential ingredients in this song. You have the one who is worshipped, and the worshipers. The one who is worshipped is, of course, this God that is spoken of throughout the psalm. The worshipers are the people like you and me. And what I want us to understand as we begin, that the key to worship begins always, every day, no matter, listen, no matter what you're going through in life, you're Issues and problems and successes ultimately depend on your vision of God. Everything starts with our vision of God, with perceiving the, the, the worth of the one we are seeking. And so listen to this. The value of what we desire will determine the intensity of our pursuit. Did you hear that? The value of who or what we desire will determine the intensity of our pursuit. And so it's important for us then to know who we're chasing after if we are to worship God rightly. And this psalm gives us three dominant notes about who God is. Number one, God is creator. Verses one and two, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Everything the eye can and cannot see, it all belongs to God. All people, all nations, all creation, every quark in the universe was designed by God and made for God. 
And so what's going on here, okay, this is like, this is like tone, tone setting, you know, uh, truth to kind of like start the song, to start the song. It's like, this is what brings our perspective into focus. When we see God as creator, we see how vast he is and how small we are. And yet it's only when we see how big he is and in our smallness that our lives begin to have the significance that the designer made for us in the very beginning. And so God is creator. Everything belongs to him, including our lives. But not only is God creator, God is holy. This is the note of verse 3. It says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? We can't know for certain the setting or the background of the psalm. Perhaps it's a reflection on David bringing the ark in in 2 Samuel, I believe, chapter 6. Maybe it's some kind of festival procession, or maybe it's the ark returning from the Lord. The ark represented the presence of God among the people that stayed in the temple of God in Jerusalem. But what we can know is that when the Bible speaks of the holy hill of God or his holy place, it's referring in the Old Testament to Jerusalem and the temple where God's presence symbolically dwelt. And in saying, in, in light of God and how holy He is, how perfect He is, how without flaw God is, who could dream of ever even being in His presence? Again, the questions here are designed to heighten our awareness of, of God and his perfections and us and our imperfections. Like the only way that we can come is, is by him inviting us. The only way that we can come is by his grace and grace alone. God is a creator God. God is a holy God. But then also God is the king of glory. If you read carefully with me verses 7 through 10, what you would have noticed is that five times... Five times it says that God is the king of glory. In other words, any other competitor, anything else that we would deem glorious in life, like beautiful, like worth going after, valuable, like anything else, okay, God rises above them all. In fact, if, if, you, if you're ready for this, all right, anything else that has any traces of, of glory, if there's anything glorious about friendship, marriage, hey, students, what about school, learning? Like, I hope there's some glory in that. Otherwise, I'd say drop out. You know what I'm saying? Just like drop right out. Don't tell your parents I said that because I actually do believe there's some glory in school because God made our minds and he wants us to learn and, and think and to be able to acquire skills to bless the world that he has made, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Like, so there's, there's a little glory in school, all right? There, there's a little glory in a life well-lived service. We uh, all mourn the loss of Senator John McCain this week. And, and why, is, why is he being honored in such a way that, that, that this all the news is talking about and covering? It's because he lived a life that that it had traces of, of God's glory in it. But all glory is ultimately derived from the glory of God. God is the king of glory. He is the Lord of hosts. All 
opponents and foes ultimately fall before him. And so I just want to ask you this morning, is this your vision of God? Is it like we sing it, behold our God seated on a throne? Like, like is, this, is this the God that you are worshiping today when we come together as Redemption Hill Church? Is this the God that you're worshiping tomorrow? Because I can guarantee your vision of God will impact everything about you. And if this is your vision of God, then like me, you are astounded. Absolutely astounded that God invites us in. The creator God, the one who is infinitely holy, the one who is resplendent in glory. He says to you and me, I want you. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to enjoy you and I want you to enjoy me. God has made us for a relationship with himself. And by the way, Though this psalm is explicitly touting the creator God and the holy God and the glorious God, the very fact that God would invite us into his presence tells us that he is also good, gracious, loving, and merciful. It's all implied right here in Psalm 24. But, but here's the thing, right? Here's the thing, and this is, this is what trips us up, all right? This is just me, Pastor Tanner. Pastor Tanner likes to keep it real, right? If you're new to Redemption Hill, we are all about Jesus. We're all about living for him, and Jesus kept it real. Just read the gospel, so we try to keep it real also. Here, here's what I need to say. This invitation to come to him is on his terms, not ours. It's on his terms not ours. What are the terms of God? It says here in verses three through six. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. What does it mean to have clean hands? If, if this is the expectation of those that would be intimate with God and enjoy a close, vibrant relationship with God, that's what's going on in Psalm 24, okay? Then, it, then we would be a people, okay? We would be individuals that have clean hands. It means that in our actions, in our deeds, our works, how we live day to day, there is a cleanness and a purity. The word can be translated innocent. And I know you're just thinking, like, well, I blow it all the time. Like, well, the life of a worshiper is that of integrity that when we deviate from God's plan and our hands get dirty, like Jesus says, you, you wash them, you come to him, you let him wash his feet and clean you up so that you are made clean again just through his forgiveness. And so we have clean hands, but God is not only concerned with what we do, he's concerned with how we do what we do and why we do what we do. And that's why he says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. God sees, listen, and this is, we just need to hear this, God sees 
what no one else can see. Like, like we're, not, we're not fooling God. Like he, he sees through our words. He sees right to the thoughts and motives of our lives. And so we must have clean hands and a pure heart. And then it goes on to say, and he who does not lift up his soul to what is false. And I love this because it's not just saying that we must worship God in holiness, like God is holy, so he expects us to be holy as those who reflect him. But also, we are to worship God in complete devotion. And so we, li- we lift up our souls to him and him alone and to nothing that is false, nothing that would deviate from his ways. It's a, it's a way to echo clean hands and a pure heart. And yet it's also a way to, to, whether it's explicit or implied, this Hebrew word could also be translated, lift up one's soul to an idol. An idol is anything that takes the rightful place of God. And we idolize things all the time. We lift up things as more important than God all the time. Like any created good, those things that I just mentioned a minute ago, like any created good, we are tempted and prone to take created things and elevate them over the creator. But what I I love here is that that the, the psalmist is saying that this is what worship is, right? This is what worship is. Worship is lifting up our soul before God where we are just open-handed and our, our souls are before God and we're just surrendered to him saying, God, whatever you want to do with me, would you do it? I mean, I'm just, I'm just curious if that's the way you came in this morning. I'm just curious if this might be in your mind tomorrow morning when you wake up before the presence of God, the, wait, the inescapable presence of God. I'm just wondering if you would say, God, my soul is lifted to you and to you alone. And here's the beautiful part. Here's the beautiful part. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from his God. In other words, when our lives are surrendered before God, when our souls are lifted up to him and him alone, it is then that we experience life to the full and everything we could ever dream of. Don't doubt it for a second. Yes, it is costly to follow Jesus, but it is, it is much more rewarding than we could begin to imagine. And so this is the invitation, if we are to worship in the presence of God, we're to have clean hands, a pure heart, not lifting up our souls to what is false or swearing deceitfully. But then I want you to notice in verse 6, don't miss verse 6, if you uh, catch nothing from the psalm today, I mean, catch it all, catch it all. You guys are smart, attentive, beautiful people, all 10 verses, let's catch it all. But if you remember one verse, if you memorize one verse, I want you to Memorize verse 6 today. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. You see, what's going on here when it comes to the worshipers, like worshiping the one who is to be worshipped, all right? The the worshipers, everything is driving to verse 6. It says it in a characteristic fashion, right? It's like, such is the generation of those who seek God's face 
who seek the face of the God of Jacob. And listen, we are not seeking God in some generic way as if God is like this idea that we're trying to just simply wrap our minds around. Or we're not seeking God as some means to our selfish ends. We are seeking God for who he is. And I hope you're ready to receive this. And I've really been praying, probably praying more this week than I do most weeks for these moments this morning. It says that when we seek God, we are to seek his face. Why would that be? Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. How do you recognize someone? How do you identify someone? How do you know someone? You know them by their face. To, 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 to say that this generation, that this worshiping generation, is one that seeks the face of God is to say they are seeking a personal and intimate relationship with the God who is the creator and glorious king. And so when we seek God, we are, we are seeking him with everything we are. We are going after him. We are uh, looking out on a search until we possess or find that which we desire. Psalm 27 verse 8 says this, you have said, seek my face. This is God speaking to David. You have said, seek my face. David responds, my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. But listen, as we seek this this personal, intimate relationship with God, which which let me just just be crystal clear here, okay? When, When we come to God, we should expect to have a personal encounter with the God we are worshiping because God is not a thing. He is a person. God is not inanimate, okay? God is alive. So this is just like, if you come this morning and you do not sense that you have been in the presence of a person, something is wrong. If you wake up in the morning and you pray and you read your Bible and, and you do not sense that there, you are coming not just to words on a page, but you are coming to a living, active relationship and this God is actually speaking to you and drawing you into a close, vibrant relationship, then something is wrong. And I agree with the pastor who said, like, if that's going on, then just close your Bible and say, God, what's going on? What's wrong? Because God loves us. Listen, God is holy, but God is love. He's a father. He wants to walk with us. He wants to to grow closer and, and for us to be more intimate with him day by day by day. This is what it means to seek God's face. But notice that David says what? Who seeks the face of the God of Jacob. 
Now, I just have to help you understand, this is very, 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 very intentional on David's part. He could have said, who seek the face of the God of Moses. Like Israel's greatest leader until King David, like the, the one who brought them out of slavery in Egypt, who led them on the redemption through the wilderness, like who seek the face of the God of, 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 of Moses. Or he could have said, like, who seek the face of the God of Abraham, like the great patriarch from, from whom uh, Isaac, the God of Isaac, and then Jacob was brought forth. But he says the God of Jacob because he wants us to remember And these Old Testament worshipers would certainly have been remembering as they sang this song, who seek the face of the God of Jacob, Genesis 32. And so if you'd like to turn there, you can follow along on the screen. Genesis 32, verses 24 through 30. What's going on here is Jacob has gone and taken a wife He's coming back into his homeland and he's about to encounter his brother named Esau. And Esau is not very fond of Jacob. With good reason, by the way, because Jacob essentially stole Esau's birthright and his rightful inheritance by deceiving their father Isaac. And so Esau had resolved in his heart, hey, when my father dies, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. And Jacob learned that, and that's why he fled for over a decade. And and he's coming back, and he's about to meet Esau and his 400 men. And you know, as, 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 as Peter reminded us at our night of prayer, like, one reason we don't pray is because we don't face enough trouble. And so Jacob's in, in trouble. He's in a, in, a, in, a, in a predicament, and he knows that the only way through this Trouble is by seeking the face of God. And this is what happens in Genesis 32. Look at this. Verse 24. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said... Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face and yet my life has been delivered. To seek the face of the God of Jacob is to seek God like Jacob sought him. Are you with me? Are you with me? 
To seek the God of Jacob is to seek God like J- Jacob sought him. And so, so what's going on in the story? Okay, he's alone. This man comes to him. He thinks it's a man, but it's an angel of the Lord, perhaps a, a theophany or a Christophany. Uh, God himself, it says he sees God face to face. He's wrestling with God. And so we need to understand that prayer, seeking after God, is wrestling with God. And you say, well, Tanner, like, why would God want me to wrestle with him? Like, couldn't I just ask nicely? And he's like, yeah, whatever. Like, I'm good with you. You just, like, take what I want to give you. Okay, well, maybe, perhaps, it's because God wants to test our faith a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Like, see if we really mean it. See if we're sincere. That we're not just coming to him on our terms, but we're coming to him on his terms. And we're saying, like, not my will, God, but yours, be done. Perhaps it's because he wants to build our faith. Perhaps it's because, listen to this, he wants to change us. Did you, did you notice that it says that the angel touched the socket of Jacob's hip, all right? And then from that day forward, he walked with a limp. You know what I'm saying? Because when we pray, when we seek after God, it's more important. And the greater reality is not that we're coming to God to change him, but that God changes us. That's what prayer is about. That's what seeking the face of God is about, the God of Jacob. But then perhaps also it's that God wants to measure the level of our desire. Because as we persevere, as we come to him again and again and again and again, as we, as Jesus taught us, to ask, seek, knock, cry out to him night and day, Pray continually. As we do so, what we are saying in this moment is, God, I have nowhere else to turn. You and you alone are my only solution. And so if this is going to happen, if I find the peace that I've been praying for and looking for, if I'm going to be set free from everything that holds me back, if I'm going to experience the fullness of life that you want for me, then it has to come from you and you alone. Prayer is wrestling with God. Prayer is taking hold of God. Jacob said, I'm not letting go until you bless me. Just taking it like, not God, I'm not letting go. I'm not letting go. God, I've been asking that you would change their heart, that they would, you would help them see you so they can experience life in Christ. I'm not letting go. Prayer is wrestling with God. Prayer is taking hold of God. And prayer, listen to this, prayer is living out our new identity as the people of God. Prayer is living out our identity as the people of God. Jacob had a name given to him by his parents that actually means grabber because as he was coming out the second born twin, he's grabbing the heel of his brother Esau. And that word, Hebrew word grabber can also mean deceiver. This is what Jacob was known for. He was a great deceiver. That's how he stole the birthright from his brother Esau. But now God is saying, you will no longer be called Jacob. You will be called Israel. Why? Because Israel means he who strives with God. What's your name? What's your name? If you belong to Christ, 
If you are part of the people of God, you belong to the Israel of God. You are the true circumcision. You are the ones who worship by the Spirit of God. Like the New Testament, Romans, Philippians, on and on we go. We see Galatians. We see that we are the people of God now, those who believe in Christ. And so our identity is that of, J- of Jacob, the God of Jacob, the one who became Israel with this new name and identity. And so to understand Psalm 24, we have to get behind the text, behind this, this, the song of Psalm 24 to the story behind the song, but also we shouldn't stop there. We should look ahead what's on the horizon in front of the text. Because there is one who was truer and greater than Jacob. There is one who Luke tells us prayed all night and would retreat to desolate places so that he could just spend time with his father. There was one who, because of the way that he prayed, his disciples came to him and said, would you teach us to pray? There is one who, before his death, just just hours before his death, he's on his knees, sweating drops like blood, and he's saying, Father, if you're willing, would you let this cup pass from me? Not what I will, but your will be done. Jesus Christ is the true and greater Jacob, and if you call yourself a Christian, listen, you bear his name. Your identity is in Christ. You are a seeker of God, and your whole life is to simply become who you are by seeking God with everything you are. And so when Hebrews talks about Jesus in chapter 5, verse 7, it says that in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and even tears to him who was able to save him from death. And so what this means for us, church, is that we need to continue day by day by day. Day by day by day. Seeking more of God. Seeking God for more of God. This is our greatest call in life. This is our greatest privilege. The greatest gift that God can give us is the gift of himself. And so no matter what is going on in your life, no matter what trials or tribulations you face, no matter what dreams and and goals that, that you are praying toward and working toward, listen, everything flows from the posture of a heart who is living out their identity as a seeker of God. All ministry is born out of intimacy. Like, this is another reason. Everything we do for God flows from who we are before God. As a seeker of Him, such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. So what I want to ask you just very briefly is this, and I want you just to, Look into your own heart for a moment. I want you to consider 
to what degree am I living out my identity? Am I living up to my name as one who belongs to the people of God, as one who belongs to Christ Jesus himself? Am I becoming who I am in Christ as a seeker of God? Because if you remember, it was 366 days ago that I stood before you in the Chevalier Theater and I said, you know what, church? I am a man who prays and values prayer, but I don't think that people would say, hey, Tanner's a praying man. That wasn't easy to tell you. And I had to say, I think I help lead a church that, that is a church that, thank God, prays and values prayer, but I don't think we're a praying church. Like, I don't think we're verse 6. I don't think we're like a generation who's seeking the face of God. And what I meant by that is like, when you think about like what comes into your mind when people think about Redemption Hill, the top five things, I don't think prayer makes the cut. And we just said like, that's not okay. And so what has happened since that time has been beautiful and it's been life-giving. And listen, we are on our way, but we are not there yet. And so today, could we just recommit ourselves? Could you just answer that question individually before God? Like God sees through it all. He knows your, your hands and your heart. Could you answer, yes, I, I am a praying man, or no, God help me to become a praying man. God help me to become a praying woman. Because let me tell you something, a praying church is founded upon people who are praying men and praying women. And I just want to be a part of a church. Listen, the words I shared at the end of last week's sermon, we have only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. Like, this is my one shot. I moved to Boston because I have one shot. I moved to Boston with my family and with a couple of other families because People need to know about Jesus in this city. And I'm just saying, listen, will we be a kind of people who seeks God for God and never stops until he fills us with himself to the, until we overflow with him to see revival and awakening happen in our city and in our land? I just want to know if you're in on that. I just want to know if you're willing to like make some modifications in your life to be a praying person so that we can be a praying people, so that we can be this generation who is seeking the face of the God of Jacob. And so what I want to do is this. I want to invite the the, the music team to come up. And we're going to sing and we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper have a, a time of, of worship and response. But, but what I want to ask you to do is this. I want to ask you just to spend a few moments in prayer. You may want to stand and sing and pray right, right where you are. You may want to come and kneel like Elijah, like David, like Jesus. You may just want to get down on your knees and say, God, make me the kind of person who is characterized as a seeker of you. Whatever you need to do today, whatever you need to pray today, however we can support you today, that is why we're here. But I can tell you this, 
Medford and greater Boston will not be the same. Nor will your lives, your, your friendship, your family will never be the same if we become this kind of people. And so I want to pray and then I want to invite you to pray as Denim and the team lead us to sing in response to God. Let's cry out to him now. Let's ask him to do his good work in our lives. God, thank you. Thank you for inviting us in. When we did not deserve to be in your holy presence, God, you have invited us in. And Father, I assume that there's not one of us, if we are in our right mind and are honest, who would say, I'm wrestling with God in the way that has been described today. And so God, I ask that you would give us the heart of Christ who sought your face continually, who enjoyed intimate and unbroken fellowship with you, who out of the overflow of intimacy performed miracles and taught in ways that change lives. And so God, would you do that in us as we seek your face today? We pray through Christ. Amen.